this thing on. <laughs> hey, you guys, how are you this morning? Thank you for joining us. I uh, know there's, uh, for many of you, there's just joy in the uh, Razorback-filled air. Uh, so well, that's good, I guess. I don't know. That's a good thing. So that was uh, fun to see. Hey, we're glad you're with us this morning at uh, South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's our privilege to have you with us. This is a, uh, a fun series that we're in. We're, uh, we've been talking about uh, what defines the church, what makes up a church. And as we've looked in the Word of God, uh, we've seen a beautiful, beautiful descriptor and a beautiful description of what that church is in Acts 2. I don't know that there's a better description of uh, the, what the church really is and how the church should be defined outside of Revelation. I mean, when we see the church in Revelation, it's it's perfect, right? And we're worshiping together, uh, every tribe and tongue in heaven, and it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. But what, what Luke describes for us in Acts 2 is something that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite texts of Scripture as we get a chance to look at all these different values that that church had and what made it the church that it was, and uh, what should make us the church that we want to be, that we want to see God do in us, and so I'm excited for that. Hey, I want to remind you that our What's Next group is going on. I'm excited about that. If, if you're interested in what our church is about, who we are, what we believe, our core values, you want to get to know some people, jump in with us in What's Next. Uh, we got 23 people involved in What's Next this round, and this will probably be the last time I mention it. So if you're interested, this is the week to get involved, Wednesdays at 6 p.m., right in this room. We would love to have you, all right? Uh, so we've been in this series, we've talked about this church, and some of the first values that we see in the church in Acts 2, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the first one, which was, it says in Acts 2.42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about what that is, right? Like, what, what were they teaching? Well, they were teaching portions of the Old Testament, uh, for sure, that especially the Messianic prophecy portions, they were teaching what Jesus taught all the things that Jesus taught when he was on the earth with them, uh, they were sharing those things. And they were also sharing what the Holy Spirit was giving them. The Bible says that they were moved along by the Holy Spirit, driven along, uh, that God breathed from his mouth this holy word into his apostles. And so this, as the apostles are teaching, they're literally, what they're teaching becomes what we know as the New Testament. And so they're a New Testament church, and that's exactly what God wants us to be. So they're devoted to the New Testament or to the Bible, to the, the apostles' teaching, the word of God. There also, we saw last week that they're devoted to one another. They're devoted to fellowship, which doesn't just mean hanging out, right? It means truly walking life together. Truly, the word literally means sharing life together, becoming a family, uh, loving each other, not just as we might love somebody else, but truly loving the way Jesus loved is what God expects of his church family, uh, to truly be in fellowship with one another. And today we're going to look at this third value, which is... Uh, what Luke calls breaking bread, right? Um, some of you have been involved in different church traditions and you have different names for it. Some of you call it the Lord's Table or uh, Communion or uh, the Eucharist, which is just uh, taken from the Greek word Eucharisto, which means giving thanks. So that's part of what we do when we take the Lord's Supper is we give thanks for God's beautiful narrative of the gospel that changes us, which we, what we sang about today. So there's a bunch of different names for it, but one thing is for sure, despite different traditions, different names, it is a non-negotiable in the church. The Lord's Supper is very important. Now, some of you come into to a church maybe and you go, 
oh, here's the thing where they do with the juice or the wine and the bread, and I don't really know what that means, but that's, that's, we see it in different churches. Listen, the reason you do is because it's a non-negotiable for the church. It's something that Jesus said for us to do, and because he did, it's something we continue to do. It's, it's, it's an institution, if you will. In fact, uh, we talked about several weeks ago when we were in the series in Acts, in Acts 20, we see Paul come into town, and he's, he's uh, spending some time with the believers, and it says on the first day of the week, which is, what, Sunday, they go and break bread. So when it says they break bread, that's literally almost a monk or a name for church. It's the same thing as we were to say, hey, we got up on Sunday morning and went to church, is, this, is the translation of they went on the first day of the week and broke bread. It's the same exact phrase. Church for them was identified literally by breaking bread bread together. It was the one thing that you would do if you were going to celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection together and tell this story. So let's get into our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, Acts 2, 42 through 47, we're going to read this. It says, and they were devoted, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can we pray together as we look at God's word? Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, Lamentations tells us your mercy is new every morning. Elvis mentioned that. And on days like today, Father, we, we feel it. We sense that, that new mercy. It's such a beautiful day that you've given us. God, thank you for a chance to be together with our family, the people that we want to be devoted to, the people we want to walk life with, the chance, Lord, to get into your word, to value this beautiful word of God that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that today you teach us something about what it means to receive the Lord's Supper, God, what it truly means to value this act of worship that you've commanded of us to remember. So Lord, I pray for this time together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. God, with all my heart, I pray that you would increase in this time, that I would decrease, that you would teach us something maybe we don't know, and that you would lead us, Lord, a little closer to your heart and a little closer to obedience in you, Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we give you this time, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to talk about the institution uh, called the Lord's Supper. What does it mean to break bread? What does it mean to come to the Lord's table? What does it mean uh, to take the Eucharist, to be involved in that? Sometimes we just do things because it's what we've always done, and we don't truly understand the origin of it. Uh, why do we do it? Why did the early church do it? Why is it important for us to do it? How should we do it, right? A lot of people do it in different ways. We do it in a few different ways. And the beautiful thing about today is later today, we're going to have the opportunity to do this together. We're going to have an opportunity to take communion together, and it's going to be a beautiful time, especially after we've talked about it this morning. I want to bring your attention today in this message to about three different things. I want us to look at the past. Jesus says to remember. And so that anytime you remember, you're looking at the past. You're thinking about the past. Where did it come from? What does it mean truly to remember? 
I want to think about the present. When we take communion, we think about the past, but we also think about the present. What happens when we take it? How do we take it? What's the right way to take it? And then I want to think about uh, the promise of the future, of Jesus' return. You can't help but think about that as well when you look at the Lord's Supper and the instructions we have in that. So first thing I want to look at is the past. So we're, we're looking at this series in Acts 2. We're seeing this early group of believers being trained into what it means to be a follower of Christ, right? It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, you might remember when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, they're just being obedient to Jesus because what did he say in the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and what? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you. So the apostles teaching people is they're being obedient to Jesus' great commission. Part of that teaching is literally teaching them about breaking bread, teaching them about communion. What does it mean to have the Lord's Supper? What's the significance of this? So here we see this group of people, they're still wet behind the ears from their baptism. 3,000 people have come to know Jesus at Pentecost, and they are, I mean, 99.999% Jewish in their makeup, right? And so because of that, they, they're, they're trying to learn what does this mean? Jesus is now Messiah. We missed him. He came. He was crucified. What does that mean for us? How do we live as, as Christ followers now? How does our Jewish faith affect who we are as, as Christians now? So they're learning all these things, and part of that learning is taking this communion or this uh, breaking of bread together. It's something they're learning. So just as teaching, this is part of what the apostles are teaching them. Uh, the Lord's Supper obviously refers to Jesus. He is our Lord. He's the one who came up with this. It was his idea. Look with me in Luke 22, verse 14. And let me just say this too before we get into it. Our, our God is so awesome. The deeper you get into this, the deeper you think about what's taking place in this passage we're about to study, it will blow your mind. Think about it as we get into it. Luke 22, verse 14. says, and when the hour came, he, speaking of Jesus, reclined uh, at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So here's Jesus. Everybody's seen the, the, the great picture of the Last Supper, right? Everybody, I, I meant to give, send it to our guys so they could put it up. But you've seen the, the, the uh, is it Michelangelo picture, I think, that, that, that painted this beautiful picture of Jesus in the long table. And so that, this is the moment. This is the actual moment, the Last Supper before he is taken into custody and crucified the next day. This is an important moment, and Jesus sort of makes an understatement when he says that I have earnestly desired to take this Passover with you. Is, is, he's saying he's, he's waited for this, and that's kind of an understatement, and I'm going to um, help you understand that in just a minute. What they're having here is the Passover meal. 
So in order to understand all the complexity of what we're talking about today, we need to understand what Passover is. We can't just go to the Last Supper and go, oh, this is what they're doing. No, listen, every single thing in our story today has meaning. Even what's on the plate in the Passover meal, even the very exact time that this thing is taking place, every, everything has meaning. Nothing is, is by accident. Everything is, is written out exactly the way God wants this to play out. So what is Passover? How do we understand what is this meal that they're going to celebrate? Why were they celebrating? What's the significance of it on that night? Well, I want you to know it's not a coincidence, right? Everything has meaning. So the Jewish people would celebrate every year this meal called Passover. Some of you know, some of you have been raised in the church and you understand the Passover was to commemorate when uh, God delivered his people out of Egypt from Pharaoh, right? Remember the plagues? Remember Charlton Heston, that whole deal, Moses and all that stuff? So he's got plagues. God's trying to get his pe people out of Egypt, and he sends these plagues to, to convince Pharaoh to let them go. Well, finally, the final one does the trick, and it is, it is a doozy, so to speak. It's a tough one. I want to look back there in the scripture, if you will, with me. Exodus 12. We're going to start in verse 3. We're going to kind of jump around. But I think it's good for us just to go to the, the original source here. Exodus 12, 3 says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. Remember this, a lamb. According to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Jump to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. Uh, you may take it uh, from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs, when? At twilight. Remember that. When they shall take some of the blood, in verse 7, and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Verse 11. And you shall eat it in haste. In other words, be ready. <laughs> it says, have your shoes, have your staff be ready to move because I'm about to move you out of Egypt. They don't understand that, but that's why he says that. Eat it in a hurry. Be ready. It is the Lord's Passover. For I, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on uh, all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So here God is using Moses as a spokesperson to say this is a significant moment. Realize that, that you've been in bondage. You've been enslaved this has been a horrible existence. Now remember, these are the people that, that, that came from Joseph. At one time, Joseph's name was revered in Egypt. His family was revered. They had wealth. They had land because they had been such a blessing to, the, to this nation of, of, of Egypt. But this has been so many years now that who's, who's Joseph? Nobody remembers Joseph. But Joseph's people, the Israelites, they have, they've come to about 2 million people now. It's taken a couple, a few hundred years to get to this place where now they're a, a couple of million people. 
and now they're the slaves of these pharaohs in Egypt. So God tells Moses, tell the people to do this. Put this blood from this animal, this lamb, on the doorpost. And then when I pass over, if I see that blood on the, on the doorpost, I will not kill the firstborn child. So this is a serious, serious moment. And the final plague, which Pharaoh loses a child and says, that's it, I, I'm done. Let them go, get out of my sight. And so God delivers his people out of Egypt, right? So this is, this is important to remember. So here Moses, I don't think I can even sit down. This is such an exciting deal for me. Uh, this, is, this is so awesome because Moses says, you got to remember this. Why? Why is it important for us to remember things, certain things? See, God is trying to help his people see that in this moment, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Remember, remember, do this every year. This is going to be a feast for you. Then every year as you do this, you're going to see what's going to happen with the coming Messiah. So for 1,700 years, this goes on, right? He says to remember, to have this feast. See, the Passover is a celebration of God delivering his people out of bondage in Egypt by the shedding of blood of the spotless lamb. What does that sound like? It had to be a spotless lamb. Jesus was a spotless lamb. It was a foreshadowing. Uh, at this, try to wrap your, your mind around this. It's, it's hard for me. I'm still trying to. Jesus at the Last Supper, as they celebrate Passover, right, as, as they're eating foods, there's different foods in a Passover meal. If you've ever been to a Seder, it's a really wonderful experience. But there's a meat that, that describes, has special meaning. There's, there's uh, bitter herbs that, that, that you taste and you, you go like this because it's cause, it causes you to think about the bitterness that the Jews went through. There's salt so that you can remember the Red Sea that was crossed through. Everything has meaning on this plate. And so as... Jesus, the Lamb of God, you see in here, is celebrating the Passover meal, which celebrates a, a slain lamb over the doorpost. You're seeing all the double meaning, seeing all the, the foreshadowing here. And yet Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. Listen, you've heard me talk about this because I think it's phenomenal. I love, I talked about it last week, I love movies. I love story. I love great writing. There is no better writing than this. There's no, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen, before the world was created, before mankind was created, the Bible says in Revelation 13 that before the foundations were laid, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain for the sins of the world. Before the world was created, before people were created, God had a solution to their sinfulness they would be in one day. Isn't that incredible? All of this is playing out. So when I say that this is an understatement for Jesus to say, I have earnestly waited for this moment. Come on. Since before creation, he's waited for this moment. Wrap your brain around that. So here's the Israelites, and they, they put the blood of their spotless lamb over their doorpost. And when the death angel comes over, he sees the blood, he leaves that alone and moves on. And now here is Jesus, the true, the one and only, spotless 
lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world in this moment, celebrating that Passover, trying to help those disciples understand that he is that lamb. That it is his blood and his body broken for them and for all of mankind. It's an incredible, poignant moment. It's not irony. It's not by accident. It's destiny. This is God's plan working out to the moment exactly what he wants to do. So God delivers us as believers in Jesus, right, from bondage, from sinfulness, from slavery to sin. He does it through the death of the shedding uh, of his only son. So when we say, Lord, apply his blood to my life, put that blood over my life, God, the blood of Jesus, then we are freed from the bondage of sin and death. And we are not, that death doesn't, doesn't keep us for eternity. Instead, we're set free to the real, true promised land of life in Christ. That's what the promised land truly is. So we see all this parallel and all this foreshadowing. Jesus, the sinless, perfect sacrifice, not unlike the spotless lamb. His blood, his blood applied to us, and he spares us from eternal death and hell. That's the gospel. Some of you might say in this postmodern world and culture, you might go, hey, you know what? I don't really believe the Bible. I mean, come on. It's an old book. Come on. You really believe that thing? Come on, really? Are you kidding me? Did you just hear that story? How, how, you tell me how that story works apart from an almighty God who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It doesn't. That Jesus the very next day would lay his life down at the exact appointed time, normally when, other, when lambs are, 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 are put to death for the atoning sacrifice of the sins of people. But this time, the true lamb, the lamb of God, gives his life on a cross once and for all. For all of our sin. Only God could write such a story. So all the significance, just think about all the significance of this moment. At this last supper, Jesus even saying, I have earnestly <laughs> longed for this. Can you imagine? It's an understatement, right? I've waited for this. You guys don't even know how long from before time began. I've waited. I've looked forward to this. All the significance is going into this Passover meal with his disciples, a prophetic moment. He's celebrating not only the past of what the, the Passover meal means, deliverance from evil, but this awaited Messiah, the Lamb of God, identifies himself, and he says to remember this moment. Not unlike what Moses said, right? Remember this moment. So that over the next 1,700 years, you'll recognize the Messiah when he, when he sacrifices himself for our sin. Remember this moment. So what's interesting is Jesus here is looking back past through the meal, past 1,700 years from uh, the, the, the first Passover, but what's interesting here, Jesus doesn't say, do this in remembrance of the Passover, does he? See, the Passover is just, it's just foreshadowing of the story. It's not the main story. Jesus' death on the cross is the climax of all history. It is the main story. So he says, do this in remembrance of what? Me. 
do this in remembrance of me when we take the Lord's Supper. We remember, yes, the foreshadowing and the beautiful, unbelievable narrative of our God that only he could write. But we remember Jesus. He says to remember. And the very next day he would lay his life down for us. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus' death. We look back to the past. This very real event uh, where he laid his body down to be broken for us. Where he shed his blood for us. And Jesus uses this phrase that's very important. There, I could have done a whole series just on this one topic. I, as I got into it, I'm like, oh, there's so much here. So rich. He says, this is my uh, blood. This is the new covenant for you in my blood. Well, what, what's a new covenant? We can't think about a new covenant unless you realize what the old covenant is, right? The old covenant is God's law. That's, that's the old covenant, the law. And what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to show us that we're sinners. The purpose of the law is to show us that we are a mess and that there's nothing we can do to keep it. We can't do it. We can't keep it. It's not possible. That's the old covenant. You, here's the law. You can't do it. Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And the new covenant is him saying, you can't keep the old. I kept it for you. I died for you. I gave my life for you. And this new covenant is me saying, I got you. Do you believe in me? Do you believe this narrative that I've written before the foundations of the world? Do you trust me? Do you give me your life? That's the new covenant of Jesus, that his sacrifice will cover our sins. So when we take communion, well, don't let it just be juice and some weird little wafer. No. Think back to the past. What has Jesus done for us? But also think about the present. I can't help when I take communion, I can't help but think about this moment. Today. How many times has my mind wandered where it shouldn't thought uh, of uh, greed or lust or sinfulness? Maybe today. And yet I need the grace of God today in the present. I, I, I was looking through this story and I was looking at, at Luke 22 <laughs> And it's, it's really interesting. If you, if you look over at Luke 22 in your Bible, you're going to see this story of Jesus and the Passover meal and him talking about uh, the Lord's Supper and remembering it. Just after he finishes, while they're still at dinner, Jesus reveals his betrayer, right? Judas. And he tells at least John, this is who he is. And so immediately we see the, the, the new covenant, this beautiful moment poignant, incredible, that he's paid for our sins, and then we see immediately sin itself. We see the brokenness of sin in Judas. Keep going down in Luke 22. What's the next thing we see? We see his disciples arguing with one another about who's the greatest. Ego, pride, arrogance. That's the next thing you see in the scripture. Who, who's going to get... The best title. Who's going to get to sit next to, to Jesus? Who gets, uh, gets the best, you know, dividends here? Who's done the most? Sin. You keep going down and the next thing you see is Peter, who's supposed to be this amazing leader in the church, 
But it's not about his wonderful leadership. It's about his failure and his sinfulness where he has denied Christ three times. Friends, we need the grace of God not only over our past. We need it in our present. It's not an accident that we see the beauty of this supper and and the story of Jesus sharing about his shed blood and broken body and then all the stories that follow are about sinfulness of his leaders. As we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that this new covenant in Jesus' blood for our sins, it covers the sins of our past. It covers the sins of our present, and praise God, it covers the sins of our future. So in every moment, we need the forgiving power of God's grace in Jesus every day of our lives. As we take it, we're grateful for today's mercy. I mentioned that this morning when we got started, you know, the Lamentation says that mercies of God are new every morning. Every single day, he has new mercy. I sat out in my backyard this morning praying for you, praying for our time together in this beautiful day. Dew on the grass and just thinking about how good God is in his new mercy. And how much I need it. How much you need it. We're grateful when we take the Lord's Supper. And we have an opportunity. When you take this little thing, (laughs) we have an opportunity to truly confess our sin. Some of you say, well, I've already confessed my sin. I know Jesus. Yeah, but it's an attitude adjustment. It's where you go, God, thank you that you've forgiven me, me of my sin and forgive me of anything that I haven't thought of. Lord, even in this moment, in the present, forgive me. Get my heart right. Help me to be serious about this in this time. It's an opportunity that we each have in this moment where we get to think about the holy God that loves us to get our hearts in such a a place of seriousness and awe and surrender that we can appropriately remember. Remember his grace. When I take communion, it's not hard to remember what an idiot I've been. It's actually pretty easy. I don't have to dig real deep to think about my mistakes. I don't have to work real hard to think I've hurt people and said wrong things and lived wrongly. It's ever before me, as David says. And so when I come to the Lord's table, I'm so grateful for his mercy on my past and on my present. And I remember his grace And his sacrifice that I so desperately need. And together we have this beautiful moment to receive these elements and remind us of how good our God is. I'll never get over it. It's also important in the moment, in the present, to have the right attitude as we approach the Lord's table. Uh, You know, sometimes we don't like to talk about some of these kind of things, these kind of disciplinary things, because they're hard (laughs) But there's a purpose for them in God's word. And we've talked about Paul quite a bit in our series in Acts. He loved his people. He loved the church. He wanted what was best for the church. Kids, if you're you're college or or below, and you're just tired of your parents on and on getting on to you because of whatever reason, it's because they love you. It's because they want what's best for you. When they see you making a mistake, they discipline you because they love you, because they want... What's best? 
And that's what God wants of us. And so we see, we see Paul reprimanding this crazy community in Corinth. I mean, Corinth was a mess, y'all. One day we're going to do a series on Corinth, and it's, it's a doozy. I've used doozy twice. I need to take that out of my vocabulary. It's, it's something else. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a mess. And one of the problems they had was around how they did the Lord's Supper. And Paul speaks, thankfully, about that so that we can learn what are God's expectations for us around the Lord's Supper, around taking, around remembering this. Turn with me in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, and we're going to go to 20, we're going to go to uh, 30. He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you, not dis- or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. In other words, this is what I was taught and I'm teaching you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after saying, uh, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Listen, I want to give you some context to what's going on here. In the early church, in this church that we're talking about in Acts 2, there was, a, there was a seriousness, there was a reverence to this breaking of bread. Even as you look in this text that we're studying for these weeks in Acts 2 to 47, there's a division of another breaking bread, right? In Acts 42, it's, it's 242, it says that they broke bread, and it's kind of a four-part thing about devotion. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Later down in the text, it talks about another breaking of bread in each other's homes. There was sort of a separation. But as time went on in the early church, like many of us have done in church leadership, we went, it'd just be easier if we did all this together. Right? Which, it wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. So they, they would meet usually on Sunday evenings, and they would have something called a love feast, an agape feast. And they would share meals, a wonderful thing. But they just decided, hey, let's also do communion. We can get it done, right? We can just get it done quicker and it's all together. But what happened is what we're seeing in, Acts, in 1 Corinthians 11 here. They begin, because there was no separation, there was no sacredness. In fact, that's what the word sacred means. It means separate. There was no separation from the mundane of a meal and life together. No, there needs to be a sacredness, a separation, where we truly get serious about the Lord's Supper. And so because there was no separation, they're eating, people would come hungry and they would eat all the bread. 
or they would drink too much wine and they would get drunk. And Paul's going, I love, I love the expression, ESV says, what? Exclamation point. What? I love that. Are you, like, are you kidding me? He's saying this isn't just a regular meal. This isn't, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Why are you coming together as the church to get drunk and eat too much and, and not take this seriously? And then he goes on and warns them and says, listen, if you live that way, you need to be warned that you're, 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 it says you're calling judgment upon your own life. He says some of you are sick as a result of living that way. And some of you have even died. This is what I think he's saying. He's saying, if you don't care about the Lord's Supper, if it means nothing to you and you can get drunk or eat too much or not care about it and take it without thinking, then you can probably live your life without thinking about Jesus too. You can probably live in such a way that your body, you, you do whatever you want. You eat, drink, live. You, you disobey God all the time. And so because of that, you're dying. Because of that, you're sick. Because of that, your life is a mess. So don't do that. Don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Don't, don't treat it as mundane or disrespected in any way. So there is a, an appropriate manner. There is a way. There is a right attitude. But can I just say this? Listen, if your heart is in such a place of, of repentance and gratefulness, that's the right attitude. Don't, don't, don't come to communion. Sometimes I know some will come to us and we feel unworthy. Just I, I know I've lived the wrong way and God, I'm so sorry, but I just don't feel right because I'm so, listen, that's the perfect time to take communion. You can never get good enough to feel like you're worthy of communion, right? That's the grace of Jesus covers you. If your heart has a check and you're like, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I want to honor you with my life, regardless of the mistake you made, that's the perfect time to take communion as a believer in Jesus. So when we come to communion, we think about the past. We think about our need for Jesus in this moment. But we also think about the promise of his return, right? There's a, uh, there's a fancy $2 word in seminary for the study of end things, for the study of things that are uh, Jesus' return, heaven, end times. It's, it's eschatology. And there is an eschatological aspect of these text that you can't deny when you're talking about the Lord's Supper. And so we have to cover it. Look, look at this. We, we've talked about the past. In other words, what its origin is, what Christ has done for us in our past, we consider. The present, how his sacrifice gives us hope right now. And then the promise of what we have to look forward to in Jesus. Mark, we're going to Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse uh, 24. And Mark says it this way. He says, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And I just think that's interesting. I've done this with my, you know, my wife was out of town all week this week and I actually survived, praise God. Uh, have you ever done that before? Like, uh, you're going to be away for a season. You're going to be away, and, and well, don't eat the ice cream in the fridge. We'll eat that when you get back together, right? Like, like there's something relational about the fact that Jesus says, hey, I want you to know I'm not going to drink of this fruit of this vine until we're all together in heaven. 
That's just the beautiful sort of relational aspect of what Jesus says. And then look here at 1 Corinthians again, eleven twenty-five. 25. Paul says, in the same way, also he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take the Lord's Supper together, when we, when we enter the Lord's table together, we're making a proclamation with our life. I think it's two different, I think it's kind of twofold. Number one, we're making a personal one. It's a reflective uh, proclamation in nature. In other words, God, I'm proclaiming to the world that I am desperately in need of your grace. I'm desperately in need of, of the blood of Jesus to cover my life. I'm a sinner. I need you. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to remember what you've done for me in the past, in the present, and my hope of you coming again, right? That's a personal, reflective sort of aspect. But there's also an accountable aspect as the body of Christ. See, when I see your family come up and you take communion, you're proclaiming to my family, this is what we believe. When you go up and you go, hey, I'm, I'm in front of all these people and I'm going to take communion, you're saying, this is a very visible representation of what I believe with my life. I give my life to believe this, to live this, to know this gospel that has changed me. Watch me take it because I'm proclaiming to you and everyone in my family and everyone around me that I believe Jesus died for me. And my only hope is in his gospel and in his sacrifice. That's what we do. We proclaim to ourselves but also to one another. And he says, until the Lord comes. So we continue to do this that tells the story. Sometimes you can maybe miss it and go, I guess there's a juice and there's bread. It's not about juice and bread. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about a body that was perfect, sinless, perfect fulfillment of all of God's demands on that first covenant in the law. He lived it perfectly. And then he laid that perfect spotless life down as the Lamb of God on a cross and his blood shed for us. That's what it's about. It's this visual reminder of the gospel of Jesus. So the early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. They were devoted to one another. They were going to share life together and be family together. And they were devoted to breaking bread together communion or the Lord's table or the Eucharist. They were devoted to this tradition to remember. You know, we had a little garage sale yesterday at our house. And we had, been, we had done really, really well. And at the very end, Lori pulls out this little ladybug costume that fit on my now 13-year-old when she was one or two. I can't remember. But she, for Halloween that year, she was a, a ladybug. And in our minds, we got these pictures around the house of the ladybug, you know, Daisy in her ladybug costume. Lori starts crying. And uh, we were telling some friends last night, and they're like, you still have that? And we're like, yes, that's, you're missing the point. Uh, <laughs> that's why we're having a garage sale. Um, we still had it, yes, and we have a lot of them. Uh, we got rid of several yesterday, you'll be glad to know. But what she was doing was remembering. We can't go back to when Daisy was one or two. But when you see that little costume, man, it, it took us there. 
it took us to the 12 years of not having a child and finally having one to dress up, to celebrate, to love. When we remember, it takes us to the most precious things in our life. And yet Jesus said, remember. Remember what I've done for you. Remember this. Proclaim this. Be thankful, even in this present moment, and be looking forward to the moments to come where Jesus will fulfill his promise. I believe it, do you? We're getting closer every single day. Every single day we get closer to Jesus fulfilling another promise. He's, he's kept every one. He's going to keep this one. And we get closer and closer to his promise of coming again. This morning we're going to take communion in just a minute. We're going to sing. But I want to just pray for us. And after I pray, I'm going to read just this simple little, um, I don't know what you'd call it, poem. And the team is going to come as I pray. And we're going to sing a song. And after we sing that song, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as we think about all he's done, all he's doing right now. And what he's yet to do. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this beautiful gospel. Thank you for this mind-blowing, mind-boggling reality, Lord, that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And that before time began, you knew what we would need so that we could become your people. And provided a way through Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. God, thank you for this gospel. Lord, as today as we, we come together as families, we come together as believers in Jesus, we don't want to enter this time lightly. We want to think about it seriously. We want to separate it from some other meal because it's sacred. And we want to remember what you've done for us, what you're doing for us, and what you'll do. God, we want to just offer this time of, of communion to you. May we commune with you. May we take some moments here, Lord, in silence as we truly prepare our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room, anybody watching today that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, would they come down and talk to me? Would they bow on their knees, Lord? Would they bow their head? Would they surrender their hearts and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me my sin and save my soul. I believe that you died for me. Lord, would you give them that? Uh, would you draw them that? there in that way, Father. And God, as we take this time together, I pray that you would do something special in us as we remember your grace and your goodness. And we proclaim to ourselves and to the world that you are Messiah. Our hope is in you and you alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I